My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. I had wondered what Kevin McCarthy was up to since losing the role of Speaker. It emerged this week that he's just roaming the halls, pushing his opponents into lockers, dropping sneaky digs into their backs. Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post is back for our new bi-monthly roundup of what's really happening. In America. Marion, it's hard to believe that by this time next year, we will have had the next presidential election. It'll be behind us. It felt so far away for so long. But now the, the countdown, I guess, is really on. And things things are getting testy, you'd have to say. Aside from Kevin McCarthy, everything feels a little more tense. It does. But first, Charlotte, can I say I am great to be I am great to be back I am grateful and it is great to be back I mix yeah. those two up together uh, and I now finally know what bi-monthly means because I could never tell if it was once every two months or twice a month and you finally explained it to me so I'm delighted <laughs> I've learned something oh, uh, it, back in. it is great to be back and as you say oh my god you know the, the where to start? So much has happened since we spoke last. But I think that this thing, I've written about it this week in the Business Post, basically a, a short history of GOP violence. And I, my theory is that, you know, the stuff that passes for normal now are that people even find kind of funny and you do have to laugh at some of the craziness, you know. Uh, mm. But where the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, who until, what, a month ago, six weeks ago, was second in line to the presidency, is walking down the corridor, you know, on Capitol Hill with all his bodyguards around him and his entourage, and he sees a fellow Republican who voted against him and sidles up and apparently, like, you know, this has been corroborated by an NPR um, reporter to the degree that she was interviewing, um, she was interviewing Tim Burgett, uh, or Burgett, as Burgett. he is known. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard this audio. I've heard the audio. I might drop the audio in so that people can believe what what goes on. Yeah. Why'd you elbow me in the back, Kevin? Oh, no, I so hey, Kevin, you got any guts? <laughs> Jerk. Well, that is audio from NPR reporter Claudia Grisales, who was interviewing Burchett when that happened. So, yeah, you walk us through it. It seems it seems like this that this is not that we don't need to corroborate this. There's actual audio evidence of it taking place. 
She, yeah, she is there to put, say it took place. She was there. She said she saw, she thought it was a shove, like a, but um, he claims that McCarthy went by and elbowed him in the kidneys. And then, as you say, you hear the audio where he goes, hey, Kevin, and then goes, jerk. It's like, how old are these guys? Well, they're in their 50s and 60s, in case you're wondering. Okay. <laughs> these are, these are not 14 year old schoolboys in a school corridor, you know, look, pushing each other up against the lockers. I mean, this is, and, you know, and then for, for the sort to then McCarthy says afterwards because he was asked about it and McCarthy has a he has this and I've seen it before it's almost like a nervous tick where he kind of laughs at really inappropriate moments and then he says in this kind of quasi brag basically that isn't really a denial oh you know if I had punched him in the kidneys he'd be he'd still be on the floor or words to that effect it's like you know I'm such a tough guy that if I'd really done this he'd you know basically he wouldn't have recovered yet uh, and you just see when did this become acceptable and then you had in the senate um literally you know in, in the same news cycle this clown at the center from Oklahoma, Mark Wayne Mullen, who is a mixed martial arts fighter. And, you know, I've seen this in on Capitol Hill before. He never loses. He struts down the corridors and around the Dirksen building like Conor McGregor. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. That's yeah. his, the shoulder rolling and the chin out and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's a Senate committee meeting and it's about labor and it's about the economic impact of unions and how families of, you know, low earning, relatively low earning Americans um, are making more money and doing better as a result of union membership. And there is incontrovertible evidence of that this year alone. We've seen so many unions who, where they've gone out and strike in the hotel business, in the hospitality business, UPS, the pilots, Hollywood, and of course, the, the United Auto Workers Union, where they are now getting not everything they want, but a damn sight more than they had um, from the three biggest car makers in America. Uh, so Sean O'Brien, who's head of the Teamsters, biggest union in, in, in America, America in the world, I think, um, and he's he's appearing before a committee, a, a subcommittee in Congress, and Bernie Sanders is chairing the committee in the Senate, and this clown is who's a ranking member is also there, and he starts an altercation with Sean O'Brien about something O'Brien has written about him on on Twitter, and it's like get your butt up. No, you get your butt up. And then he stands up and again, rolls the shoulders back, goes to take off the wedding ring. This is in the Senate, you know, what? and Bernie Sanders is sitting there with a hand flapping. God love poor Bernie going, no, you know, sit down. You're a U.S. Senator. So this is a time. This is a place. If you want to run your mouth. We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. OK, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. <laughs> Is that your Sorry. solution, every poll? No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, my God. Okay. Somebody sit needs down. to remind right. these guys, if you did that in any job and, you know, anywhere, you know, if, if, if you know, in a classroom, whatever, in you, you like you would be punished. And Mitch McConnell, the only person who spoke out about Mark Wayne Mullen um, was Mitt Romney, who's leaving. You know, he's resigned from the Senate, so he can say whatever he wants at this stage. He's got nothing left to lose. But Mitch McConnell was specifically asked about this um, on Thursday in a press gaggle. And he said, I'm not responsible for the behavior of, you know, people on Capitol Hill. You know, he is the Senate minority leader. Re Senate Republicans, he is the boss of, if you will, the Senate Republicans, um, so, uh, the Republican senators. And, and yes, it is, you know, his job 
to call them aside, I would say, if they're behaving in a way where they're threatening violence against witnesses who appear before a committee and not just threatening violence, jumping out of their seat and making as if they're going to punch them. Um, you know, I, I would say, yes, Mitch McConnell, that is your job, actually. It is your mm. job to... to um, Rein it in. To, to rein it in and to insist on some decorum and that Republican senators, you know behave themselves with a minimum standard of just decency and dignity. And, you know, we saw when when um, Robert Menendez, who, who was up for all kinds of appalling behavior, bribery and taking bribes and taking money and gold bars in his house and Mercedes he got from, you know, basically acting as a foreign agent for the Egyptians. Every one of the Democrats called him out and called for his resignation. So there should be an element of policing, because if your own colleagues won't tell you when you're out of order, who will? Well, Marion, we've seen things degenerate. There's no yeah. doubt about it since yeah. we started this podcast. What is deemed acceptable has changed. And if Mitch McConnell is your go-to Gardon Shiakana, you know, the guy who's literally on his last legs politically, physically, mentally, yeah. it doesn't bode well. So if he if he's not the watchdog, is there no one there to go? No. Nothing to rein it in. There's no overseeing committee uh, to to um, issue punishments or or it, or does it actually come back to Joe Biden? Uh, no, it's and you know Joe Biden has nothing. This he is the White House. He is the executive. By the very definition of the way America was designed, the founding fathers, the Constitution, everything, there is a separation of powers. Joe Biden can do nothing and should do nothing. By the way, about mm-hmm. how senators conduct themselves, it is none of his business, and it would be an unwarranted interference. But you know, Charlie, we can go back. I mean, you remember? I think we spoke about it on the podcast not that long ago. Couple of months back, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobart had a physical altercation yes. in the women's toilets. They had to be separated. You have Matt Gates now. Matt Gates is eminently punchable. I'll give him that. You know, I'd probably <laughs> punch him myself if I had a chance. But you know, he has said that he was lunged at repeatedly by by um, fellow Republicans in closed door meetings. We saw in, during Kevin McCarthy's excruciating and, and mercifully brief leadership in in the the fifteenth round of votes or whatever it was. We saw Mike Rogers, another fellow uh, Republican, lunging at Gates, and he had to be dragged away in a neck hold. You know, this this is all. But I I connect all of this to Donald Trump because Donald Trump is the Republican Party leader, and he's not just the leader, he has the party in a stranglehold. And he has, from literally the first day he arrived on the political stage, he has been casually threatening violence, encouraging violence, boasting about people he knows, you know, who are not afraid to punch people or who are tough guys. When when a um, Republican in Montana, a Republican politician attacked a news reporter, Trump praised him on the stump and, and said, did you see that? Wasn't it great? My God, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we have seen him and more and more now in 2016, he, I was at several rallies and we heard the things he said where he said, oh, you know, he would talk fondly about the days, reminisce about when protesters would be carried out on a stretcher, about how cops were too nice when they put suspects into the backs of cars, watching their heads instead of basically slamming them into the car um, and talking about how he would pay the legal fees 
of any of his supporters who would physically assault protesters at his rallies. So, you know, this was the start of this, you know, really where violence became a thing that wasn't just acceptable. It was something to be relished, something to boast about. And we see where Trump is now. And, you know, it's authoritarian creep where he's talking about people as being vermin, where he's threatening to put to round up millions of illegal immigrants and put them in mass internment camps and then deport them without any due process. You know, all of these things are being said on the campaign trail as a way to show what a tough guy he is. And then Ron DeSantis, who is, of course, tanking and has tanked in the polls, trying to keep up with them by talking about slitting the throats of federal workers, a metaphor, you know, to be but a, a horrible, ugly metaphor, his way of saying he's going to get rid of the deep state, saying that people who come over the border are going to end up stone cold dead, they'll be shot on sight. You know, all of this kind of cranking up this sort of Wild West, you know, sort of, you know, just that violence is the answer and that a quick, short punch or, a, you know, is, is a better solution. And, and you know, it has spread throughout the Republican Party like a virus. I can't tell you, and I, I have indeed on this show, the number of times I've been to events like the NRA, like CPAC, like the Young Republicans Gathering in Dallas, where they talk gleefully about a civil war, where they talk about it as though that is the solution, where I've had elected Republican representatives say to me, you know, there are three million of us, we're locked and loaded, we hope it doesn't come to, but if it does, we'll be ready. You know, stuff like that. So to me, none of this, it's all of a piece. Mm. I see a thread that goes, it's you know, down. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's it's a really and as I of course there's a lot of jokes in the late night comics are having a field day about Fight Club on the Hill and you know the rumble in the rotunda, which I you know, and you do, as I say, you gotta laugh because some of it is so absurd. But it doesn't people need to be real to there, you know, we saw and, and we did speak back in twenty twenty about how both of us, the feeling of trepidation that violence was inevitable. And as it turned out, it was. It happened on, it, cum, it culminated on January 6th in, in the attack on the Capitol, uh, in, in which, you know, several people lost their lives and in which hundreds more were injured, main, 140 police officers in, amongst them. Uh, and, you know, I really feel that 2024 is going to be worse because the normalization of violence and of violent rhetoric between 2020 and 2024 to me it has it has grown exponentially it's it's a different level now where it's it's spoken about as a routine part of the discussion as i say with donald trump with his authoritarian mm. creep with the with the glorification of violence and with the normalization of violence as well and even you know i think it was was it was last month the brookings institute and um another organization that works with the public religion research institute uh, they carried out a poll which in which a third of republicans said that patriots should use violence you know to save their country well, now a similar poll was carried out in, about four years ago and the number who said violence was acceptable or indeed advisable um you know in a political situation it was about 13 percent of republicans now 13 percent of democrats are also saying yes you know we might have to resort to violence you know yeah if, if that's what it takes this is not going in a good direction at all let me ask you this though because we've spoken on this show again about the convictions of those involved in january 6th and the polling that showed that 
people wouldn't take up arms because of seeing the impact of engaging in uh, violent protest against the system or in favor of Donald Trump, that there was an actual tangible impact they felt from pursuing each and every person that was involved to ward off this happening again. Has that sense dissipated? Well, you know, I think that there may be two different things here. First of all, I think the way the Department of Justice handled September 6th by methodically um, going after every Mm. single person who was guilty of violence and using all of the footage and the evidence and pursuing them and, you know, a lot of them getting prison sentences, some of them getting really long prison sentences and, you know, our home imprisonment, our, our really strict fines, our probation, everybody was punished as they should have been. Um, and, you know, the sentences seemed to be appropriate and it seemed to be, you know, a, a massive operation that was conducted in a very deliberate and organized fashion. And it was just as that was seen to be done. People could understand why these people were, why the Oath Keepers were, leaders were getting longer sentences, why other people were, you know, getting probation. It, it, it was made clear. And, you know, so I think that that's one thing where, you know, I think if Trump were to say in 24, okay, let's all march on the Capitol, I'm not sure that people would. But what is more worrying is the sort of, I I think the localized violence, violence in swing states, violence at election polls, you know, violence against election workers and violence against politicians. We saw also on Thursday that um, Paul Pelosi's attacker was convicted of uh, attempted kidnap and assault. Let's not forget that this guy who was, I think, what is he, 42, 43, uh, David Payne, he, he went, he broke into Nancy Pelosi's house. He found her husband who was 82 years old and he beat him around the head with a hammer. He fractured his skull. He could very easily have killed him. And now after that happened, we heard the jokes about Mm. Nancy Pelosi's husband, Donald Trump, mocking him. You know, Glenn Youngkin, the alleged Mr. Nice Guy of the Republican Party, mocking him. You know, around the halls of Congress, he was. there were jokes being made about an elderly man almost being beaten to death with a hammer. You know, and and how, and again, this goes back to the normalization of violence. So uh, do I think Donald Trump could command a crowd um, to go to the Capitol like he did in 2020 or 2021. No, because the the same situation isn't there. The same logistics aren't there. He's not in the White House. He can't call a rally on the ellipse, you know. But do I think that he could absolutely cause trouble again if he's beaten again and says the election was stolen again and calls on his supporters to rise up and protest or do whatever to, to stop the steal again? Yes, I think absolutely there could be more violence. Later on the show, we're going to hear your questions. You guys have been submitting your questions for Marion and we're going to get through as many of them as we can and of course round up the rest of the week including the return of the Washington boy George Santos and uh, the committee published its findings in terms of the fraud that he's been engaged in with uh, campaign finances we'll hear all about that and an awful lot more in the second half of the show but first I wanted to put because we are trying to, you know, catch up on what's happened the last two weeks. The Yahoo News YouGov poll found that Trump has a slight edge over Biden. Um, yeah. Now, the, these polls, we've we've gone through this so many times. How do we believe them? Are they to be believed? But certainly, Marion, what's emerging in all of the polls that I read 
is really, really interesting. Uh, what would be the observations that you'd make s- straight away from uh, what's emerging from these polls, including the idea that people would like another Democrat to run rather than Biden? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think um, it is a tragedy for Joe Biden that he didn't do what he really implied very strongly he would do back in 2020, where I, yeah, I remember covering his primary campaign and where he said that he would be basically a transitional president, that he would be the bridge to the next generation. And it was very strongly implied that he would serve one term, although he never said that categorically, but that he was basically the unity candidate who was going to calm the country down down and then pass on the baton to somebody younger. And, you know, that 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 seemed to be um, what he was gearing towards. And I still think that had he done that, he would have been remembered as a terrific one-term president, you mm. know, who achieved an enormous amount, who was really successful. Let's No, not entirely successful because of the debacle that was Afghanistan and the way that that was handled. But in terms of Ukraine, in terms of initially with Israel, at least, that he was somebody who showed that America could still lead on the world stage, that he could still unite a coalition of Western allies and, you know, that America could be a powerful force to help uphold democracy around the world. So I think had he served one term that and and as I and, you know, the midterms results were the, the best since John F. Kennedy, as we've said before yep. on this program, whose 60th anniversary is speaking of violence. The 60th anniversary of his assassination is on, I think it's a Tuesday or Wednesday next week. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, that's another um, well, a bit of a red herring there. But I think that that um, Joe Biden made a mistake in running for a second term because he is quite simply too old. And I think he looks too tired. He looks like a spent force. And that does not inspire enthusiasm and it does not inspire confidence. Now, I think he has been a really good one-term president, but now he's in a situation where he almost has to run because if he were to pull out at this stage, Kamala Harris would be the candidate by default. It would be too late, I think, for an all-in primary. And people would, you know, I I think it would make things very, very difficult. And I'm not, I think it would be a bigger mess now if he were to pull out. At this stage, his name is on the ballot in several states. You know, I'm not sure that he even could. So basically, um, the Democrats are, I think their their attitude is they're stuck with Biden. And yeah, that's how they feel. Let me jump in there because I remember this phrase. I'm not sure who said it. Uh, never underestimate how much people will underestimate Joe Biden. Yeah. We've done it every single time. Everyone's done it. We've all engaged in it. Is this well, just you, another you time? Like he'll come out and do a, a state of the nation and you're like, wow, he really, he can do stuff. Uh, and then, you know, he fumbles some things. He says some dumb shit and you're like, oh, he's too old. And then you look at him and go, God, he looks doddery. But again, Marion, people underestimated what his presidency could do. And, you know, as you've said time and time again, the facts and figures don't lie. Yeah. He's an underestimated man. He's just the kind of guy you underestimate, is he not? I think that's absolutely true. And But I think also you have to keep in mind, he, I remember in the primaries, he ran, he was dreadful. I remember seeing him in New Hampshire and in really? Iowa and the various other places. And it was cringe inducing. I remember one event in in New Hampshire in particular, and it stuck in my mind because Bernie Sanders had an event across the road. Joe Biden was in a small basketball arena in a small local school. 
there were maybe 35 people there. At least 30 of them were over 80. And he stood up and he it was just and across the road, you could hear the cheers coming from the Bernie Sanders rally, which had thousands of people there. Now, Biden won and Sanders didn't. So, again, maybe that was an underestimation. But I think that Joe Biden is not the country is looking for inspirational leadership at the moment. Now, he was a really good technocratic president for, for this past term. He achieved, he got enormous gains, you know, um, legislative gains. He was, he exuded decency and calmness at moments where it counted. Uh, you know, he he saved the Democrats in the midterm. He saved the Senate and he pretty well saved the House for them as well. Um, only lost a handful of seats. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, so he he really he has overperformed on some levels he's also done things that have gone unsung which i think it's no harm to mention uh, in terms of you know he really in ter- in terms of appointments in terms of his cabinet he really sort of even things out there are so many excellent people in Joe Biden's cabinet. There are, you know, there are men, there are women, they're from minorities, there are all kinds of groups. You have Deb Haaland, who was the first interior minister who's Native American, uh, who's doing a terrific job. All of his people are doing terrific jobs. He has had the same cabinet from day one. There hasn't been a shred of drama. We haven't seen, there have been no, when you think of the drama and the turnaround with Trump, with the, the chiefs of staffs, you know, every chief of staff, I mean, his, Ron Klain did leave after two years, but people were crying at his leaving event, including Ron Klain. He was a really beloved and respected chief of staff. Biden has had no drama. There's been no backbiting, no leaks. He runs a really competent, unified government, which is a no small thing in Washington uh, today. Uh, So he has done a lot of things right. But as I say, the mood of the country is so exhausted. It's so disillusioned. I think that it needs, it basically needs a John F. Kennedy, not Mm. a Robert F. Kennedy. Let's not get those too confused. (laughs) Well, yeah, a young, charismatic, inspiring leader. And there's no sign of no sign of that anywhere. Uh, And and weirdly, Gavin Newsom and and Ron DeSantis are having this debate in in Atlantic City. I Uh, I can't wait to talk about that. What's that about? Yeah, what is that about? (laughs) And what boots will he wear? That's the that's the big question people are asking. I, I mean, we listen to this, and you're listening to this, whoever you are out there right now. Tuning into Irishman in America, and you're invested. You're a person who watches the news, probably has several news apps on your phone. I'm making assumptions here, but if you're listening to this and you're enjoying what Marion brings us each week, you're not the American public. The general sense that you were talking about there, the mood of America, yeah. is not people with multiple news apps, is not people who listen to political podcasts on a Friday, they interpret the biggest broad brushstroke of what's going on. Joe Biden's too old. Couldn't get simpler. Yeah. But also, Donald Trump is in big legal trouble. Like, big. It doesn't, you don't need to be a, a political savant to get that. Do I want to elect a man who could potentially be in jail or be stripped of all of his uh, businesses through fraud? Which of those two things, in your opinion, Marion, carries more water right now in America? 
Well, you see, America is so polarized that it literally depends on which side of the political fence you're on. Yeah. Because if if you're a Republican, um, and if you're that majority group of Republicans who is in the tank for Donald Trump, no matter what, you don't yeah. care. You don't care if he gets another really? hundred indictments <laughs> now and, and then. You would well, be amazed. Is, but this, well, this is based on now. I said going to so many events and talking to so many Republicans. There are some Republicans who have said to me, who like at time we'll say five percent. I'm gonna if that who have said, oh, you know, he's got a lot of baggage, and I think Democrats are just going to keep going after him, and maybe we'd be better with somebody else. Uh, but the vast majority have said to me, he won in 2020. All these Republicans who are challenging him, you know, Haley, DeSantis, they're traitors. They have no business. He should just get this nomination. He's he's hmm. owed this nomination. And he is president, by the way, in case you didn't know. You know, and but that do they is come a out, far more common refrain. I, I hear you. I hear you. But do they come out? That's one thing. To talk to yeah. people at a rally is one thing. Voter turnout is going to be a big conversation as the year yeah. goes on. It sounds like it'd be nearly better off for Joe Biden if those people just can't summon the energy to come out and vote for Trump, that they're not like, we've got to get out there again for this guy. Am I right in saying that? That a low yeah, turnout would be better know, for Joe? Honest, the, the thing is, it's the opposite. Joe Biden has the enthusiasm problem, not Donald Trump. Okay. Joe Biden has the Democrats and the younger Democrats and the, the Joe Biden is the big meh, you know, in in this election where they're kind of like, okay. oh, Jesus, you know, like he's so old and he's this and he's that. Donald Trump's the MAGA bros and the MAGA um, constituency of the Republican Party, which is the the biggest chunk of it is absolutely committed to turning out for Trump. They're absolutely committed. They're much more motivated than the Biden Democrats. Now, things will change in the meantime, because at the moment, and this does happen, and, you know, Biden and his team, they overuse this expression that, you know, don't compare Biden to the almighty, compare him to the alternative. And they are right up to a point where, you know what, it's not like it's Biden or Jesus Christ, you know, or it's not yeah. like it's Biden. I don't have to be the best candidate. I just need to be better than that other candidate. Yeah, exactly. It's Biden and Trump. And I think that maybe what will happen, assuming they're both still alive by November, whatever it is, 3rd or 8th, 2024, um, and functioning, is that people might get scared and might think, oh, God, Trump could win this thing and he could very easily win this thing. And they might come out for, for that reason because they worry about the future of America, not because they support Joe Biden necessarily or because they're excited about Biden, but because they really fear for the future of American democracy if Donald Trump is elected. And let's face it, Donald Trump, as he always does, he has told people what he's going to do. He has told people. You know, he has made it perfectly clear that he will go after his enemies, that he'll round up um, immigrants and put them in camps. He has made it perfectly clear that he will basically use his presidency to settle scores and, and to, as he puts it, to gut the deep state, to fire federal workers, to get to stockpile the whole place with, with um, you know, Trump friendly ideologues. Uh, he has told America what he is going to do if he wins. And, you know, 
yes, a certain proportion of America wants that, as in the, the MAGA constituency, but most Americans don't. So I think that might be what might motivate them because when they do compare Biden to the alternative, as as Biden's people keep saying, that when they, when they look at it and think, well, look, this is the choice we have. We don't have a different choice. Um, and Biden is, is certainly the lesser of the, of the two evils. So I think in, in that sense, they could come out for Biden. Also, there are things like abortion. That is going to be a big thing in 2024, you know, where, where people are going to turn out because it, this has been a big, anima- it was a big animating um, policy issue in the, in the midterms. It was a big animating issue last week when people turned out in Ohio in droves um, to make sure that their abortion rights weren't taken away from them. You know, um, so I think that there, there are certain things that may settle in Biden's favor. Also, the economy, you know, people are not feeling that the economy is doing well at the moment. But if you look at the incremental gains of all of the people who work for unions, even the 400,000 or whatever it was, 300, uh, the, the UPS workers, that's a lot of families that have extra money because the unions negotiated a bloody good deal for the workers. You know, the, the union workers and Biden is undeniably, you know, a cheerleader for the unions and for unions' ability to mm-hmm. negotiate a fair wage for their workers. So they're at the moment, something like, the, again, we're, we, we keep talking polls, and I'm really sceptical about a lot of them, but at the moment, only around 14 or 17% of Americans believe that they're... they're economic lot has improved as a result of Biden's policies, probably in a year's time, that will be higher if some unforeseen event doesn't happen to tip the country into recession or whatever. Uh, but, but you know, that these economic, the steady economic growth will start to make people feel better that Biden's negotiation of drug prices, if you're spending $800 a month on, on diabetes drugs at the moment and it, it drops to $32 a month, you're going to feel that. You are going to feel better off. So I wouldn't rule Biden out. I think it's going to be a very, very close race. And unfortunately, because of the insane electoral college system, it will come down to half a dozen uh, states, mm. as usual. And, will, and, and the margins in those states will be will so be tiny. And this is where if somebody like Robert F. Kennedy can get on the ballot um, in those states, uh, he can wreak havoc. Well, if you have a question for Marion, you want to pose, you're hearing all this going, yeah, Jar, but ask her this. Well, <laughs> well I want to hear it. Terrific. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get to them. <laughs> Irishman Abroad Podcast at gmail.com is the place to email later on in the show. U.S. public support for Israel's war against Hamas is eroding. Most Americans think Israel should call a ceasefire. Now, according to a new Reuters uh, Ipsos poll, poll I want to talk to Marion about that and the sense that she gets over there, the likelihood of a ceasefire. We do want to talk about this as well. This is a pathetic clown and a buffoon who, and the fact that he got elected to Congress at all was nothing short of a miracle. But he wasn't even good at it. The lies he told were so easy to track down, like saying his mother died on 9-11, that she was a financial executive in the Twin Towers, saying that his grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. All this crazy stuff. Now that wasn't, okay, those lies were, you could say they were victimless lies, but the frauds and the cons and the, the stealing of money from one 
one bank account and putting in the other, the paying himself off for loans that he never made to his campaign, the stiffing of donors, 23 different felony charges being brought against him by the Department of Justice. He's going to jail. So that's a little taster of what is over in the extra large version of our episodes on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Why not pop over this week? Sign up, no obligation, cancel whenever you like, gain access to hundreds and hundreds of episodes from the last 10 years. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.